coming up. Today on Money Beat, a short seller's valiant report offers no new allegations. And Friday brings the monthly jobs report. What does it mean for the economy and the Fed? We'll talk about all of that right now. Bringing the world to your ears. You're listening to The Wall Street Journal. Award-winning reporters. Original insights. Now, Money Beat. Hello, welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. I am Paul Vigna, joined today by Kristen Scholler, Stephen Grosser, and perhaps the only New York athlete who was not disappointed yesterday, uh, <laughs> Maureen Farrell, who you ran the marathon, Maureen. I did. And and you finished it. I finished it. You did well. well 424. Well enough for me. 424. That's that's the number of the week, Grocer. That's, that's the number of the week. That's exactly what you wanted, right? <laughs> um, it was right in line with it. No complaints. A little sore today. Yeah. But to be fair, I am not. I am not totally happy with the sports world yesterday because it was a tough night. I was oh, a Mets fan. Brutal, brutal, brutal. New York sports day, right? So a beautiful day at the marathon, yeah. but a brutal night. Right. And I would right. like to also point out that Steve Russo, who was a <laughs> longtime member of this podcast, ran the marathon as well. Slightly faster than Maureen, but he is not in work today. Not in the office. Not in the Didn't office. Make it in for his first day back. Didn't hey, but I the will, Wall Street Journal. I will admit that he's probably much more upset than me about the Mets. That is true. <laughs> that is that is probably that's the real reason he's not yeah, here. Yeah, that's what I kind of think. Uh, l- let's let's talk about the markets for a second. There's a very interesting story. Valiant again in the news. Continuing to continuing be in the news, to be in the news. but but this time, I mean, and Marie, take me through this. This is interesting because you had a short seller who made a really big stink about a report that he was going to come out with, and then uh, when he came out with it, poof, nothing, no, 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 no allegations, no bombshells, right? What 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 happened here? No, on Friday he said um, he was going to release something on Monday that would right. be information about Valiant that would be dirtier than anyone ever expected. Mm-hmm. Then on Sunday he talked about... And, and this is, I'm sorry, this is, this is Andrew left of Citron Research. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Citron, for you who don't remember, was the, was the shop that, and Andrew left was the guy who wrote the report that really hit last week um, Valiant shares. Yeah, it probably had the the biggest single effect, or it really catalyzed a lot of other questions around the company. Or two weeks ago, I guess, two at this point. Two weeks ago, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he said this on Friday, and there were, I mean, a lot happened on Friday. They cut ties with this pharmacy, specialty pharmacy that was in question, Philidor. Um, Bill Ackman hosted a marathon four-hour conference call, really defending the stock, defending his um, investment in it to investors. But this also hap- this also came out, and the stock ended the day down a lot, more than 10%. And it was hard to tell, really, was it what Citron Research said that they were going to say? Mm-hmm. Anyway, on Sunday, he talked to our colleague Ma- Michael Rappaport, and um, he said he really dialed it back. He said, you know, I don't think I'm going to come out with any new allegations. Um, he basically said that um, I don't want to be in the center of this, mentioned his lawyer's um, Herbalife, I mean, Valiant has said that they are going to have talked to the SEC about Mr. Left. Right. So it was hard to tell. He went on CNBC and talked for a while today. Today. He insinuated a lot of things and continued to criticize the company, but he said, I'm going to leave it up to the media, who the major media outlets who have a lot of lawyers working for them to do the, take the next I, step. I mean, the thing of this is, you know, companies always complain about short sellers, right? I mean, this is what they do because the short sellers are, are coming, you know, with a clear axe to grind. 
but usually it doesn't work out quite like this. I mean, this guy is really out there looking very bad. I mean, you say on Friday yeah. that you have bombshells, the stock is down 10%. You're short. You're already declared short. You're betting against the company. And then Monday comes and, and you got nothing? Yeah. You got, or, or, you got you, or you're nothing? not going to give anything. He, right. He hints that he has something. So. I mean, this really, you know, Valiant, which is under a lot of pressure and maybe justifiably so, this is a, this is a big out for them in the eyes of the community because now they can say, look, th- this is what is happening. This is just a witch hunt. This guy, he said a lot of things and he had nothing. We're okay. We're clean. No problems with us. Look at the short seller. So, uh, you know, obviously when things go tough, people, companies love to blame short right. sellers. And this does give them an out. But when we look, when we, we sort of try to calibrate, like, what ha- what effect did he have in his, like, supposed bombshell? Mm-hmm. The stock's up today, but it's up about 6%, and it's still 10% down from where it closed last Thursday. So no the one's real, really the, believing there. I mean, let's let's the, face right, it. Right. I mean, this isn't... You know, Valiant, you know, started to slide long before Andrew Left took, you know, center stage, and it has continued to slide. And it faces a multitude of issues with investors. First of all, Jim Chano's famous short seller was out long time, long, many years ago. A year and a half ago. Um, You know, complaining about their business model. The reality is when you cut R&D, you you basically don't want R&D. You have to continue to grow through M&A or through increasing the pricing on drugs. Now, Pricing of drugs has become a big political football. Congress has asked, has you know, asked for documents regarding how um, Valiant prices their drugs. Um, so have you know, attorney and district to the Justice Department. Um, you also have you know the idea of like Valiant now has gotten to the size that like how many you know to really make it impactful um, to its bottom line. Deal. It needs. To, it really needs to be a big deal at this point, and there are very few companies, um, you, you know, that uh, that they can do, and especially when your share price is this low. And they've also said, I mean, they're and highly you're leveraged. carrying twenty eight billion dollars in debt. Yeah, they say that that's their focus right now is to yeah, pay it down. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. and so for, from a shareholder perspective, I mean, you have to get comfortable with all these things. Before you know, you're going to like you want to put your money, and I think a lot of people. This is a hot money stock, and a lot of people are now questioning that. Where do those questions go, Stephen Grosser? I mean, what do they what do they ask? Ness, what becomes the focus on Valiant now? I mean, how far how much further does this go now? Right. Well, I mean, let, let's look at Philidor. I mean, they said it made up 6% of its revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was from essentially very little two years ago. So, I mean, they, you know, I think one of the things investors need to get comfortable with is how much, you know, Valiant can grow organically over the next, you know, couple of years. How much their revenue can grow, um, you know, without, like, the Philidors, without, you know, big price increases. How much they can they really generate? And if investors can get comfortable that they can continue to grow, and a lot of analysts have said that they can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Well, they might be changing their opinion now. I mean, today, <laughs> what, I mean, I, I think you raise a good point, but I think what people, as people digested it, more of that, Wall Street community, it's that question, but it's, say, so Philidor's cut out, 
But now are all the pharmacies going to look at all of the pricing and really, like, scrutinize Valiant so much more carefully? So that could be an issue. I mean, that's an, uh, one big question mark. Yeah. What are regulators going to do? I mean, the pressure is on for them to look really closely. Everyone's watching this stock. So the ripple effects that could come beyond, I mean, the question is still there. Like, what organic growth do they have? But it's what else is going to come to light? I mean, they've cast themselves in such a bad light from just Philidor, from you look at 10 different things. I mean, and that's the other thing is Valiant, like, you know, by getting rid of R&D, Valiant has sort of opened, you know, like the drug companies have always, you know, people have loved to kick the drug companies around, but at least they always had, we're doing the R&D, we're, we're coming up with drugs that make people's lives better, make people live longer and be healthier. If you don't have the R&D, really that defense well, sort of... Then, then and you're doesn't, drug prices. Yeah. Doesn't that get to the very heart of what people have been criticizing Valiant about? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we, mean, s- we saw Charlie Munger came out again over the weekend. He's criticized this stock for a long time. But again, this weekend, he, he sort of... Uh, I'm going to misquote this, but morally inept, morally bankrupt company, and he mm. criticized their price increases. But the one thing he did stop short of saying while criticizing the company was that he called it not a house of cards. He said they actually do have valuable properties. It's yeah, not going to go right. to zero, which some people have said, right. but we don't, you know. Right. Well, I mean, you don't have doing. to, you, you do not have to be sort of on the I have bombshell things to say about this company like, like Andrew left, you know, just to, to call into question this company's, everything about the company, the strategy, the growth model, you know, whether it's worth what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... It's a valuation. It's a valuation, I mean, right. At this point, and like people are reconsidering their valuation at its core mm-hmm. and how they're valuing. And interestingly, you know, Bill Ackman, who's a big investor, had the marathon um, you know, uh, you know, uh, conference call this weekend. He's oftentimes tried to compare Valiant to Berkshire because what because of its M and A strategy. And it's interesting to hear Charlie Munger, I think, come out and you know, sort of take a lot of shots at that idea. Right. Uh, let's let's leave it there. Take a quick break. We will come back and we are going to talk about. The queen mother of data points. Friday, the jobs report lands in our laps. What will it tell us? They're here. All new podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, including... What's news? Top stories without the noise. Where does the presidential campaign go from here? Check back for daily updates from the Wall Street Journal. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. Welcome back, Paul Vigna, along with Maureen Farrell, Stephen Grosser, and Kristen Scholler. Friday morning, 8.30 p.m. I know where we all will be. We'll all be sitting at our desks like busy little rodents running around the maze because the jobs report lands Friday, 8.30 a.m. We will be live blogging it as we always do. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I got to try something, right? Uh, Let's talk about this one for a second. Kristen, you wrote about this in the Morning Money Beat your 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 daily preview of what's going on in the world. How important is this report? This report is the second to the last one before the ultimate last policy Fed policy meeting of the year. So this is a very important data point because it will give us 
one of two reads on the labor market before that last meeting, uh, Fed policy meeting in December. And so you have economists out there saying that this is key, um, as well as the report that we'll get next month at the beginning of December. We are expected to see, or at least the consensus among economists, is that the jobs uh, monthly payrolls will improve a bit from the previous two months, which were disappointing. Um, We had reads of under 150,000 for both August Mm -hmm. and September. And so there's there's the expectation for October, which is the report that will be released on Friday, is that 175,000 jobs were added. So that doesn't hit that sort of psychologically comfortable 200,000 mark, but it is an improvement. And, um, you know, the Fed has said that unless there are major headwinds or a major slowdown in the economy, that December still very much remains a live meeting in which they could raise rates for the first time since 2006. In fact, you know, in the last thing coming out of their October meeting, I mean, they specifically mentioned December, the December meeting as a point where they could raise rates. Um, what is that sort of, was that the Fed just being like, we want to single as clearly as we possibly can that we are definitely still thinking December to the market, which up until that point, it, I think had really largely ridden off a rate hike this year. Yeah, it was an explicit reference in the statement, which is something that it hadn't done. And so markets certainly interpreted it to mean that market participants thought that the chances now of a December rate rise are more likely than they previously thought going into the meeting because of the way that the Fed tweaked its statement, um, saying that it will consider at its next meeting, that next meeting being in December, whether or not to raise rates. Um, obviously, the labor market's important. So, too, is inflation. And the Fed said in its statement that it's going to continue to monitor the situation abroad. So there are other factors that go into that ultimate decision on whether or not to raise rates. But the jobs market is a very, very important part of that component, part of that equation. And what's the trend? I mean, oftentimes the Fed says the month-to-month noise that we see is is unimportant. They like the rolling 12-month average. And that's the rolling 12-month average is now like, you know, was below where it was last year. Um, you know, what's the trend here? I mean, is another 150 number, is that going to, you know, is, is that going to signal to the Fed, you know, we should hold off on a rate hike? Or do you think, you know, if we just continue on this line that we're on, that that's enough for the Fed to feel comfortable moving ahead with what is going to be a very small rate increase? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good question. Um, and obviously, I don't want to speak for the Fed, but another thing to look at is the unemployment unemployment rate is at 5.1%. And even if the jobs, you know, monthly payrolls come in at 170,000 per se, um, that unemployment rate is expected to stay at 5.1%. And the Fed you know, thinks that that is, um, you know, that is a decent a decent number where it would feel comfortable raising rates. Um, the trend over the past 12 months is the average is a little over 200,000 jobs uh, being added each month, which is down from, or that's the trend this year, rather. Last year, um, in 2014, we saw average monthly payroll gains of about 260,000. So it is coming down. Um, but so far, the Fed at least from Fed officials that have been out in the media um, speaking with news organizations, including the Wall Street Journal. And what they've told us in their statement is they don't seem to be too concerned about that employment number as of now, whether or not inflation is going to improve um, in the medium term toward that 2% target, which it's been running underneath uh, for the past 
three years or so is another question. Um, and I think that, you know, is a big question mark for the Fed in, in considering when to raise rates. Right. And you, you look at it, you can look at it, you could frame it like this. You look at their, their dual mandate, right, which is employment and inflation. And if you just pick out two numbers from their dual mandate, one from each, uh, the unemployment rate, which we were just talking about, it almost demands that they raise rates. If you believe that unemployment rate correctly reflects the state of the labor market, 5.1%, it demands that you do not have rates at zero. It's basically what the Fed thinks is full employment. Right. But if you look at the inflation rate, which is very low, I mean, and you talk about three years, I think it goes back more than three years. I mean, we haven't had a strong inflation rate for a very long time. It's it's well below the 2% mark they want, to say nothing of being hotter than that. Uh, the inflation rate would demand that they don't put up, that they don't increase rates, that they keep things where they are. So the question is, which number really reflects what's going on here? No, I mean, I, I think that's, the, I mean, it's, it's the bind we're in. Interestingly, well, too. Well, we're not in it. The Fed's, the Fed's in it. In it. <laughs> um, but interestingly, another point, though, is the Fed really shocked the world in September with this sort of all of a sudden taking in the global turmoil, the global financial turmoil that was taking place in markets around the world from China to Europe. Um, that they sort of tamped down in this in this latest one. They're not as concerned about that anymore. And in fact, you're starting to see, um, you know, across. You're starting to see improvements in um, Europe, um, and in China, even still contracting. Showed yeah. a slight improvement from September. The data here is not particularly rosy. But but I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, unemployment rate is you know is gradually declining in the eurozone. I mean, it seems the markets haven't been as hay wire lately you know if 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 the rest of the world sort of seems he can stay calm and I think we move along at a gradual improvement in the labor market is that enough I think the to answer my own question the number that is the false positive is the unemployment rate I don't think that 5% unemployment rate reflects what's really going on out there. I think the labor market is actually much weaker than that. You have a lot of people just not in the labor force. And look, whatever this number is, it is going to show that the labor market in terms of jobs created every month has taken a distinct step downward. We were over 200,000 every month. Now we're under 200,000 every month, however much further than that. Yeah. So I think the labor market is actually we, And I think Janet Yellen thinks this, too. Uh, the labor market is actually weaker than it may appear, and inflation is still very weak. So personally, I think the Fed's making a lot of noise about the uh, the, the December meeting being, quote-unquote, and I'm, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, folks, uh, being live because they – they they want to keep that they want to keep the markets thinking about that they don't want that to be they don't want the markets to to think that you know they're on pause forever because they want to raise rates they want to do it they just well, that's can't what I'm get is, they can't they, get if, the right data if they didn't do that you know I mean they want to raise rates yes absolutely um, and if they didn't say that they're not comfortable it was seven be, they, years they didn't here. they don't what they don't want is you know the taper tantrum of um, you know, May 2013. Uh, of August 2015. Um, what they want is they want, you know, the market to be prepared for this so that they can, the, the, they take it in stride. Right. And, you know, that's why I think they signal it as strongly. If they were going to do it, 
they had to signal strongly. They really needed to be bearish. And, and you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason to believe, like, the decreasing in the number of, of jobs per month added, you know, you could make an argument with, you know, the labor market, at, you know, with the unemployment rate at 5.1, that should be somewhat expected. However, U6 is still at historically high levels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you love to point out on pretty much every single podcast we've ever had, <laughs> um, wage growth is 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 largely been non-existent. Right. It's, it uh, hasn't pr- been strong enough. Right. Not just the podcast, every chance I get. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll even do it at football games. He stops people, <laughs> on, the, he stops people on the street. I'll do it everywhere. Right. Uh, okay, look, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there because we want to provide one more number, one more important number, not just the the jobs report, not just unemployment, inflation. Stephen Grosser is gonna take us out. Well, we've had we've with had, the big number of the week. Yeah, we maybe had, this will be a recurring thing on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, no, I think we should we should like do it. it. Yeah. We no, it's we, gonna be we, yours though. You got to come up with one good number every week. I can do it. I'm gonna put it on you. Um, we have had uh, you know a, a lot of deal making in the last couple of weeks. A, a real actual pickup, and we are now including now the Wall Street Journal. I have to say does not include spinoffs in its M and A deal volumes of figures. However. Deal logic does, uh, unless we ask them to exclude it. It's and sort of we a just, leading research yeah, firm that people where we trust get most of our data from. Right, right. And, and including spinoffs, we've now crossed four trillion dollars. This would be the second time on record that we've crossed four trillion dollars. The last time being two thousand seven for a year, for a, year, year, for yeah. a full year in global M and A volume. Wow! And um, so we're well on pace to surpass two thousand seven's record. What was two thousand seven? Four point three. I believe. So we have two months. Yeah, two months, and we should do we, that. I say we. Like I, I, well, put it, put it into perspective, excluding, yeah. excluding spinoffs and all that. The Right now, we're at $3.8 trillion, um, and in 2006, we were only at $3.6 trillion at the same point in the year. So we the, the M&A machine keeps going. And you have to remember, 2007, we were also running into this you know big headwind of um, the financial crisis yeah, you, you and know, M&A disappeared. It was driving. It was driven by private equity and the credit markets just. Wow. And you, Steve, you know what I thought was pretty interesting today. I mean, we saw another pretty big deal. I think around six billion dollars, and it was Shire, yeah. a pharmaceutical company. So I mean, that's another sign. There's been so many questions around pharma. M&A overall with Valian and other other oh, farms pricing. You had, and you had so, Pfizer last, yes. Exactly. La, you know, last Pfizer, huge Allergan, deal. Huge. Uh, huge. And an inversion, huge. too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like you know, I mean, uh, healthcare M&A has dominated this market. And they're not um, scared despite all the PR, potential public relations issues around it. They're still going for it, potentially. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Pfizer. But, but still, it's, but you know, healthcare M and A has has been over thirty percent of of the market all year, which is um, you know historically among well, the, the the most. Well, you know what this all says to me. You know what I you know what I think <laughs> of this. I can guess. <laughs> top, top. Call it a top. All right, I'm going to call it a top. I'm also going to call it the end of the podcast. Everyone, thank you for listening. And uh, look, go to the Money Beat blog. Check us out all week long. And come back. You can get this podcast on iTunes or WSJ.com. And we will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore.
And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.